Well, hi, folks, and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Ken, and I'm joined by Charlie this week. Uh, it's been a somewhat rare occurrence uh, in recent months. <laughs> yep. Be good to have a chat. So the subject of today's podcast is going to be my recent travels in Israel. I spent almost three weeks in Israel recently back in February and March. So this is going to be kind of a freeform thing where we just chat about Israel. Charlie's been there as well, and he has lots of questions, and we'll just see where that leads us. Anything else to get out of the way? I guess we can quickly update folks. Um, we're actually both in the States right now, which is kind of odd. Yeah. <laughs> First time we've been in the same country for a while. Eh? Indeed. Yeah. So you're in California. I am in Pennsylvania, am. although I'm about to head down to Texas and guide a trip down oh. there. And then nice. you're you're headed to South Africa, right? Yeah, back to South Africa for ten days, see the family, and then up to Ghana. So yeah, we're we're getting uh, we're getting busy. Yeah. So yeah, how how did the? I I think you've mentioned briefly. I think when we chatted about the Seychelles, you were saying that I think you were maybe in Israel when we recorded that thing. But um, so we, we, you've got a, a friend in Israel, and I guess uh, you got to travel around with him um, a little bit. Right. So he, uh, he'd invited me to come to Israel. Actually, initially the plan was that I could just stay at his place and use his car and he was going to be in, well, visiting the Island of Socotra. Wow. Um, and I was sort of looking for something to do prior to the Seychelles. I had to get out of Madagascar. And so I thought, okay, that'll, that'll work perfectly. And then it, as it turned out, his, um, trip to Socotra was canceled and he was around. So he has quite a small urban apartment right in kind of the trendiest district of Tel Aviv. Oh, so the apartment was a bit cozy. I, uh, I ended up <laughs> putting up my tent and sort of camping in one corner of the, uh, sleeping on the floor, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was no problem. It was, it was a great place to be, you know, that real urban experience, like a full on, you just walk around the corner and there's coffee shops and microbreweries and, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was a great base for experiencing certainly Tel Aviv. I haven't been to Tel Aviv. The only place I went was um, Eilat down in the south, which is a pretty kind of sleepy place. But um, oh, it's not sleepy I, I, anymore. In Eilat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's become kind of a Las Vegas-like place uh, in Israel. Um, it's a it's a duty-free zone. And then oh, right. there's, so tons of people go down to shop. It's warmer. It's on the coast. So it has those things going for it. It's right. It's actually right on the border with Jordan. And apparently it's very easy for Jordanians to cross as well. So it's kind of this, this shopping hub for Jordanians. So lots of stuff going on in a lot and lots of like weird high rise hotels and even like themed resorts and this sort of thing. Yeah, there there are difficulties kind of crossing between Israel and various other Arab countries um, for obvious reasons. But yeah, e Egypt and Jordan have a sort of, um, you know, a cordial relationship with Israel. And uh, yeah, even when I was there, which was quite a few years ago now, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, you know, more, maybe 13, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I was able to cross from Egypt um, into southern Israel and from there into Jordan and back again. 
Um, I, I must say, I was grilled by the uh, the um, immigration officers um, about what I was doing. I was like very seriously uh, interviewed. But um, on which side, on I the think, Jordanian or the Israeli side? Oh no, no, the Israelis. They were like, you know, what are you doing here, and what, what, uh, why, why are you in Egypt, and why do you want to go to Jordan, and you know, it's, it's all sorts of kind of uh, hardline questioning. But uh, I mean, I, you know, bird watching, so. You know, you just got to, you know, I've got to tell you a little story about uh, about coming to the States because, you know, they give you a hard time in the States sometimes as well. They were like, you know, what are you doing? How long are you staying? Uh, give me as much details as possible. And then I said, oh, I'm bird watching. And the guy's demeanor just changed completely. He's like, uh, oh, well, I saw, a, I saw a documentary the other day. And, you know, and he had me, you know, he was chatting for like 10 minutes on this on this dumb documentary he'd seen um and i was just i was like yeah okay great yeah nice but uh yeah it was um yeah slightly less friendly in uh, going into israel well saying that i was a a bird watcher or a guide didn't do anything for me in terms of getting <laughs> into israel <laughs> so this this is an experience that's worth relating uh it was my yeah. initial experience of entry to israel so I flew in from Madagascar um, to Paris on Air, Air France, and then uh, I was able to transit. And so I basically did what you do is I headed to the gate for my flight on El Al to Israel. And, you know, I just had no reason to think that there was going to be any issue. I already had my, I don't know, I had some kind of proof of my booking, but I didn't have a boarding pass. So maybe an hour and a half before the flight, I saw some agents there. And I wandered over to just say, I'm here and I need to get my boarding pass. I guess you need to check my ID. And so at first this went very typically in terms of global travel. Okay, no problem, blah, blah, blah. But then there was clearly like another team there. So you had your, your LL airline employees, and then you had <laughs> other people who were security people. <laughs> right. And so I had no issue with the airline people, but then the security people kind of swooped in in this in this very kind of personable way and started asking me right. a few questions and at first it was very basic stuff and i figured these are just questions they ask everybody but then something seemed to get triggered where i was viewed as worthy of additional scrutiny <laughs> and wow the scrutiny i received was really quite something it was quite quite an experience right i was questioned you could even say grilled for an hour and a half nonstop. Really? Um, nonstop questions. You should have uh, you should have recorded it. We could have put it up as a, as a wow. podcast. Well, it, yeah, it would, it would have been something. <laughs> so they, and it, this was like rapid fire questions, the classic intelligence thing where you keep kind of mixing in the questions you've already asked and seeing if the answer changes at all. Just up, yeah. a little bit annoying, but I do understand it. They just absolutely grilled me for, yeah, the, the whole time until the flight left. And I just stayed very calm and just answered the questions very honestly. I almost wonder if the fact that I stayed so calm was part of what triggered them but to wait, scrutinize me yeah. so much. How are we going to break this guy? Yeah. Right. Well, like they almost want to fluster you, I think, so that you right. start to panic. And then that would be a way of getting at some kind of truth or something you're trying to conceal. Did they offer you any water? 
We've, oh, got to just mention that. We, we've got a friend, and I guess he was maybe going into the States, and he was being interrogated by U.S. officials, and uh, and they were like, oh, are you thirsty? Would you like some water? You know, they were like, so no, play, no, no, nice, you, nice guy. You're, you're giving a, a boring version of the story. They basically <laughs> I don't want to give said, too many details away. It, it was just like, well, they, they thought that this guy was going into the States to work without a work permit basically yeah and they were grilling him and they were like is your mouth getting dry it looks like your mouth's getting dry would you like a glass of water it wasn't even a real offer of a glass of water it was just one of some kind of like in, intimidatory uh yeah interrogation technique and i think his right. mouth was actually pretty dry so my mouth stayed moist and i just answered this barrage of questions they drilled down on all kinds of stuff. I mean, all the companies I work for, I mean, they asked like the names of everyone I could remember who works for tropical birding. We were on the tropical birding site, looking at my bio. We were looking at all my trip reports. We were on my website. No, it was so, you know, it it was drilled down on like, what kind of consulting work do you do? And what are the names of the people who work for them, for that company? And where do they live? And where is the bank that pays you for this and that? And then you know, they drilled down on every basically Muslim country I had ever been to, which uh, they'd seen in my passport. Some of these, when was the last time you were sure. in Dubai? Who do you know in Dubai? Um, do Have they ever sent you any money? Or um, just on and on about all wow. these, you know, Indonesia and Malaysia. and Yeah, so it just went on and on and on. And I was thinking... I guess having was, a passport that's just full of stamps from all over the world is kind of a, like a red flag for them. Yep. Well, I think in many respects, I was unusual. Um, it, I was just not a typical flyer on LL. So yeah, I just stood out. And I what I've kind of observed about Israeli security protocols is that they sort of focus all resources on the most likely to be a problem thing. Right. And so that happened to be uh, me on that flight. And there's actually more to the story, yeah. which I'll, I'll share in a bit. But so I thought I was almost done, but no, they, they sort of took me down into the, like the cement basement of the airport, <laughs> down some elevator. And I was thinking, oh boy. And oh, so I got down there and they kind of made me sit in a chair. And then this young woman I'd been speaking with kind of brought over a couple other people. And these were clearly the heavy hitters of this right. security organization. I don't know if they were Mossad or what, but I just got a feeling from these people that like do not trifle with these people. So she, you know, they're all staring at me as I'm sitting there in in a chair staring. And I just kind of say hi. And they just didn't even flinch and didn't say a thing. Just kept staring at me. It was, it was quite, uh, quite an experience. So they went through all my luggage, like with a, with a fine tooth comb. Uh-huh. And just all throughout this whole thing, they're still asking these questions over and over again. When was the last time you were in Dubai again? Okay, and you don't know anybody there? But who did you say you knew there? You know, it was just like mm. over and over and over. So finally, it seems again like I'm, I might be passing here, passing muster. We get back on the elevator. Yeah. We go back up through the gate. And there's some of these cryptic, sort of nods and gestures between the airline employees and the security people. And I'm not quite, I don't know what this all means, 
They seem to be issuing back over the head. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like I'm getting a boarding pass, which is good news. Um, Oh, by the way, as I was down in the basement, I could kind of see up out of the basement and I could see the gate and I could see everybody getting on the plane, you know, hundreds of people on this big plane. And I was the, the only one who was not on this plane. And then we kept getting people would call us and be like, okay, well, we got five minutes. And, but these folks, they were not in a hurry. I mean, I think they just, they have this mandate where you make sure things are safe. You don't worry about people missing flights. Uh So anyways, I'm back up there. I get my boarding pass and and finally I'm standing there with my hand luggage and my boarding pass. But this security person is still standing next to me and not telling me I can go. And, and I just say, well, can I get on the plane? And there was this exquisite long pause. And she kind of nodded her head and say, yes, you can. It was just like up until the very last moment, there was some attempt to get me just to lose my head or I don't know. It was, it was really, it was an unusual experience. It was, you know, it wasn't in some ways it was unpleasant, but it was actually very interesting as well, just to kind of see the security apparatus. I, I would have loved that. I would have loved oh, that. <laughs> at some point, you know, I, I, I tried to crack a few jokes and at some point I said something like, well, am I going to get on this plane or are you taking me to prison or something? And no, they didn't oh, laugh. They, just like, they didn't I, laugh. Like, silence. I, I don't think <laughs> Stony that silence. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that won't be necessary. Oh, wow. So, so that this, was your introduction to Israel. Yeah. Welcome to Israel. It was, it was yeah. something. So I guess after you arrived, you, uh, you, you got to eat some, some good food, I guess. <laughs> Boy, the food was amazing. You know, Israel was not on my radar at all as a, a major food destination. I, I guess I've been underexposed to Middle Eastern food in general. I, I certainly have liked what I've tried. And I actually got into cooking Middle Eastern food a bunch um, last year. But basically, I, I think if I if if I had to eat one thing for the rest of my life every single day, I, I wouldn't be too disappointed if it was kind of Middle Eastern food. I think I could probably yeah, uh, totally agree. It's pretty healthy and uh, it's very tasty. Totally agree. I, you know, judged by that criterion, I might even say I'd pro- rather have that than Indian. Even though, right? Referring back to yeah. our top cuisines episode, Indian is my favorite cuisine. Yeah, I, it does. Yeah, the, the just the level of spice at some point gets to be a bit much. Um, Middle Eastern, yeah. you kind of have have uh, such a diversity of, of flavors and some very spicy, some very simple salads, and yeah, it's but just it's wonderful. Still, it's still kind of familiar to Western food, you know, having salads and bread things and whatever. So. Right, right. Yeah. So what I realized is that Israel is this weird melting pot for Middle Eastern cuisines. A lot of that is due to the sort of Jewish diaspora that came uh, into Israel after, well, some, some before the establishment of the state of Israel, some after, but I mean, you had like Yemeni Jews coming in and bringing all kinds of almost Ethiopian elements. And you had people from Morocco and all over North Africa, of course, not to mention, you know, Europe and, and Russia and these kind of places. Like, so you just had all these people from all these different culinary cultures coming together and, uh, Boy, good things, good things happened with all that, <laughs> that fusion. Um, I, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it, it, Israel sort of had the best food of all the countries in that region 
just because it's yeah. developed such a diversity of it's stuff. Like you can get Turkish yeah. food and Lebanese food and Moroccan food and Yemeni food, and you can just get all these different kind of varieties of Middle Eastern food. And it's also at this kind of juncture between the real, like the desert parts of the region and the, the more fertile Mediterranean parts, right. you know, Lebanon yeah. is just to the north. And so I think you just have a pretty high diversity of ingredients. It, you know, it's, it certainly has a lot of cultivation, the, the country as well. So you have really good fresh produce and obviously lots of importation of stuff too. So yeah, I was amazed. I was, the food was impressive. I think it's one of these countries where you really are going to struggle to eat bad food. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had great food when I was there. I mean, it was just like falafels and pita breads and salads and stuff, but it was just so tasty. Yeah, no, no complaints. I learned so I guess, that I had been uh, pronouncing, you know, this sort of chickpea dip that is frequently consumed now all over the world. What was that? Hummus. <laughs> yes. I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's not hummus. It's hummus, and it's hummus. one of these it's one of these funny things. Like when you're in in France and you ask for a croissant, and people just yeah, give yeah. you dirty looks. In in Israel, if you ask, do you guys have hummus? No, no, no. It's hummus. <laughs> it's much hummus. more fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> you you know, there's a dip. Um, and it's kind of like a lot of a lot of uh, cilantro and chilies and stuff like that, and it's an Israeli one. It's called shrug. And um, we had an Israeli friend that used to make it there. That, that, that he lived in South Africa, and it was great. But we, we, yeah, that was a lot of fun to say as well. Shrug. Is it? This is. It's with coriander root and hot chilies. Yeah. yeah so that yeah. is actually a Yemeni thing. Apparently, is according really? to my friend uh, Noam, who is who's quite an expert in culinary affairs, yeah, it came in from Yemen, uh, and wow, it is amazing huh. stuff. It, I actually brought a couple bottles right. out of Israel with me because it was just so wonderful, uh -huh. and I, I couldn't get enough of the flavor. It's unlike anything else I've ever had before, <laughs> and it's fun to say. Such. 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 <laughs> Great combination. So, so they let you in and you got something to eat. So I guess uh, next you you managed to get out to to see some birds. <laughs> Things were looking good. Yeah, Things were looking good. <laughs> Since my friend Noam was there, he was able to take me around. He's got a little car and actually this was. But I wasn't even going to talk about this. But since I am speaking of Noam's car, actually our first day of birding was was really nice. We got into some kind of Mediterranean, uh, what's called their bata habitat, which is this scrubby, open, rocky habitat. But on the way back into Tel Aviv, it's basically dark and cold. And we're on a three-lane highway, and his car broke down. And so, <laughs> and when it broke down in a place where there was nowhere to pull off, you know, we were just totally bound by concrete, and there's three lanes of traffic, and going at high speed. And so I had an experience I've never had in my life before. You know, the, the little reflector triangles and the and vests that you yeah, tend yeah. to get in the back of almost every car around the world. Your car. Yep, yeah. I've, I've had those, use those throughout my life and never used them, but now I've used them. <laughs> so I, I got to sort of get out of the car, you know, waving my arms, hoping nobody hits me, right. and open the back and pull out the little reflective triangle and put on the little uh, vest. yellow vest. I felt like I was a French uh, <laughs> protester, uh, gilet jaune. <laughs> 
and and then you know we couldn't go anywhere and so i sort of scouted ahead in like a quarter mile or you know half a kilometer or something there was a little pull off so i ended up basically we put the flashers of the car on and i put on this yellow vest and i pushed the car um for like yeah hundreds of yards and it was just a surprisingly exhausting thing to do and i was constantly you know the whole time i was worried that somebody was going to smash into the back of the car and just sandwich me there so yeah it was uh it was some bad luck that we had car trouble right then um but we got that sorted out and uh we're back on track we did lots of birding i basically saw the whole country of israel from from mount uh, hermon that's the extreme northeast of the country you know the sort of alpine tundra on top of this mountain well some kind of tundra all the way down to elat in the far south which is pure full-on desert on the the red sea uh, right up against all the borders against the jordanian and against the uh, gaza strip um yeah it was yeah i really felt like i got a feeling for for a lot of the country you mentioned to me previously that you saw a pretty cool bird the uh was it the mcqueen's busted Oof, that was i think that was my top bird in israel really there was a pretty small list of of things we were looking for but that one was that was a big target for me so i when i was probably 12 or 13 or something like that i got my first copy of the birds of europe by killian malarney and i don't know if you remember the illustration of what was then called hubara bustard but you've you have your main field guide illustration but he has this wonderful yeah. way of filling in every bit of space and so kind of to yep. the side he had this illustration like almost like a sketch of like a a hubara bustard crouching behind some desert shrubs and in the ba- the background there are some bedouins on camels and maybe some sand dunes and it was just this tiny little vignette but it was so evocative it just made me want to see that bird so badly and and you know that was it's been 30 years now i've been dreaming of seeing this bird and so i finally finally connected with it it was very satisfying how did you get to see it so noam's friend uh oz horzine took us out for a day of birding he has a, a good sort of a four by four type of car which is good for the desert so we drive down from tel aviv into the northern part of the negev desert and by the way um, oz runs a website called bird families of the world which is quite uh-huh. quite a cool thing even if you're not a lister like me it's you can basically click through and see how many of the world's bird families you've seen and which ones you haven't seen and then it'll actually keep track of your sort of family tally so it's it's a cool cool site that i recommend oh, I, i'm registered on there but uh yeah so oz took us out down into this well-known stakeout for the bustard which is kind of cool in its own right there's a railroad that goes through there which i think was built during the ottoman empire and it connected israel with with istanbul and along this old railroad which i think is now defunct there were there were some leftover rail cars and one of these rail cars they turned into a, a bird hide so it's a one-of-a-kind bird hide at least in my experience so you basically climb up into this rail car and set up the scope and start scanning for this bustard across this vast area of shrub desert and uh, probably within three minutes 
Oz picked up the Bustard and got some fantastic views in the scope. And this male that he spotted was actually displaying. And this display was just crazy. I, I didn't realize what a different bird this is. You know, it's actually in a monotypic genus. I guess it's now a, a duotypic right. genus because Hubara bustard uh -huh. has been split into two. But, you know, it's just not like other bustards. And it has this weird display, which, I mean, it's it's got these white feathers that stick out of the breast and then kind of curl around. It almost looks like some kind of clawed hand. And then it ducks <sighs> down with its neck and compacts itself. And then it does these bizarre, like, dashes around these little frantic dashes uh, it bizarre display unlike any other bustard uh, i never would have imagined it uh, i was i'm looking at it right now on youtube and it's it's mind-blowing i mean it has all these long plumes coming down from its neck and it, it kind of puts them up over its head like a it's almost like a sort of you know what it reminds me of you know those kind of triangular kind of like um, pirates hats like pirates of the caribbean with like feathers sticking out of it um, <laughs> yep and it's running along and it doesn't even look like a bird when it runs it looks like a sort of honey badger or something like that with this feathered hat on top just waving it from side to side and then it kind of stops and it flicks these feathers up on the back of its head i mean it's it's i mean it's like nothing i've ever seen before i mean that's just absolutely crazy so I take it you haven't seen Hubara either of the Hubaras? Seen, no, I haven't. No, I haven't seen them. Um, that looks very. That looks like a very very cool thing to see. Yeah, highly recommended. Especially, I think the display really makes the bird. I think if not for the display, I think yeah, so. it would be cool. But it would be like a busted. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But you really see how uh, what a weirdo it is when you see them displaying. What other kind of birding highlights do you have on your trip? Ah, there was there were a bunch. Eh? A a. One of the big ones for me was I really like nuthatches, and I have all oh, right yeah, yeah. an ambition to see all the nuthatches eventually. Oh, a nice one! Um, yeah. Probably won't achieve it. There's some very tricky ones, but there was a, a new nuthatch for me in Israel, which is called Western Rock Nuthatch. Oh, so, oh man, I mean, so people who aren't birders won't know this, but nuthatches are basically tree-dwelling birds, right? They, they just creep down tree trunks um, upside down. But there's two species that are basically rock nuthatches. Instead of being tree nuthatches, they creep around on rocks. So that kind of thing is just very exciting to a birder. So, and there's, yeah, there's two different rock nuthatches and the, it's the Western rock nuthatch that is in Israel. Uh, it's not very common. But there are some places around the highest mountain in Israel, the Mount Ramon, where you can see this bird. Uh, we got some good recent information about exactly where to look. It was one of these highly targeted things. And yeah, it came connected with a pair of these, these beautiful kind of pale gray and white with a blackish, I guess, dark cap. Nuthatches, great big bill. Um, indeed creeping around on rocks it was it was just as build and that was quite delightful huh. where have um, you seen western rock nuthatch i in... think i had it in turkey years mm -hmm. ago yeah um most of my birding in israel was just uh, i just had a few days of um of migration birding so it was maybe like the sort of end of march um early april uh, and it was just mind-blowing it was just some of the best 
you know, probably one of the best days burning I've ever had. Certainly, probably top five, um, and easily up there with the the top um, migration hotspots in the world. Eilat um, is kind of uh, it's like it seems to be in this big valley that's kind of irrigated with you know little water ponds and greenery, and, and I think the birds are coming up that have crossed the Sahara, and then and they just get to this big valley, and it's the first greenery they see and water, and they just they just drop down in big numbers. So it's a really amazing spot for migration. Yeah, amazing spot. I, I was there a bit too early for the migration. Uh-huh. It was, just, it was a bit frustrating. I really want to go back now and, and see it, especially yep. when you describe it in those terms. Because <laughs> you've seen some some top migration hotspots, that's for sure. Um, yeah, but it's if anybody wants to catch an old world migration hotspot, it's certainly a, a great place to go. Yeah, I think Israel must be more diverse as a hotspot than Spain. Spain is great. But I, I just think the right. cashment of, of birds is much smaller there because you're way on the western yeah. side of the continental landmasses. Israel, you're just smack in the middle of, you know, all the different landmasses of the world or the, the entire eastern hemisphere, basically, barring Australasia. Yeah. Uh, and there's just a crazy number of birds that all kind Everything of intersect just there. Through as yeah, well. I mean, fan- fantastic uh, raptors, just streams and streams of, of uh, eagles and. And black storks and things it's really impressive uh, migration spectacles you know that valley i believe that is the far northern end of africa's great rift valley that i can yeah i can see that yeah. so i you know a lot of stuff just funnels up out of africa and follows that valley for much of its migration you know when you're down in ethiopia the rift valley is an amazing migration spot as well there it's sort of funneled by mountains on either side right but uh in israel it's it's a bit different yeah you have irrigation and and in surrounding desert and in it like you know all these birds have just crossed so much dry country that a lot must really look inviting yeah yeah i think so we uh when you were talking about um breaking down at night it, it kind of reminded me we, we did a little night drive there and um I think it was for the might have been the Egyptian night jar looking for this thing, and um, I think we got this thing. But uh, there was there was two cars, and we kind of split up to cover more ground. And and the car that I wasn't in um, that night saw a striped hyena as well. Oh wow! So I think there's some pretty cool mammals in uh, in Israel as well. This was actually another thing I really wanted to see, and did connect with um, was. Ibex was very, very keen to see Ibex. And uh, what I didn't realize is that in Israel, it's kind of like white-tailed deer or mule deer in much of the states, (laughs) or they just become... So for me, you know, I've been looking for this bird in in Middle Eastern countries that are heavily hunted and where this animal's almost extinct. And so that was kind of my search pattern was like you sitting in the bottom of some wadi scanning rocks for hours with a telescope and hoping yep. to find this thing and we basically drove into a little natural area with a gift shop and a coffee shop and these things were i don't know if they were actually chewing on trash but it looked like you know they're <laughs> kind of standing next to a pile of like styrofoam that had fallen out of a trash can or something it was it was one of these bizarre experiences where this animal i wanted to see my whole life is is really not in the the context i imagined Oh, that's quite funny. Okay, we've uh, 
seems the time's up today, but um, we're going to, I think this is um, definitely deserved of uh, another podcast. I'd certainly like to hear more about your um, Israel adventures. Um, so I think we're going to play out with one of the birds you mentioned there, the Western Rock Nuthatch, which is a very cool bird. Um, many thanks to everybody for tuning in, um, especially our um, patrons. Um, if you want to join them on Patreon, you can uh, check us out in the, uh, the, the show description. But uh, that's all for this week. Um, thanks again for joining us, Ken. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, good to chat.